Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 4. Glad to be with you and able to open God's Word with you as I find Exodus 4 and not 2 Samuel 22. There we go. Exodus chapter 4, God, just a refresher, a recap for you as we begin today's time in the Word, God made known to us by His Word and in creation, how has God made Himself known? He's made Himself known by His Word and He's made Himself known in His creation, received by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and indwelled by the blessed Holy Spirit. He is a God who delivers, who redeems, and who dwells with his people. As we journey through Exodus for many weeks now, and we're only four chapters in, so we're here for the long haul. As we journey through Exodus, it is this very God, and it is these very things, these very actions, God's deliverance, God's redemption, and God's dwelling with his people that we are examining, that we're learning about, and I pray that are encouraging us in our walk with God. It's my hope that when we come together, the Word of God is not something that we approach for a moment and enjoy because it's Sunday and leave until the following Sunday. It's my prayer as I work through preparing a sermon, if that's what it is, a message, a speech. I don't know what to call this that I do. I open God's word and I hope that I'm making the sense known as the spirit gives me power. That's what we understand of expositional preaching. I hope that I'm doing that, helping to make the word make sense and come alive. I pray that it is an experience every Sunday morning that permeates into your very soul, that the word of God falls on your ears and that the power of the Holy Spirit uses that in your life to effect change. If the word of God is not changing our lives, I don't know if we're listening, and if the word of God does not have the authority to change your life, then I, I don't know what gospel you have believed in because God's word has the power to save and to transform And that is the reason that we gather every Sunday for the preaching of God's word. That's why sometimes we turn lights off. I don't know. The Hebrew people sojourning and suffering away from their homeland. They have a land. And they are not in it. They are sojourning and suffering away from their homeland. They are captive and they are in bondage in Egypt. Moses, the author and leading character of Exodus is a Hebrew man. He's raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, so he's raised as an Egyptian, and the Bible tells us that at around 40 years old, he rejected the life of an Egyptian, refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of Israel. The Bible says that he's a wanted fugitive at this point in Exodus 4 because he thought that he would avenge a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian, so he killed the Egyptian. That became known, and he fled the land. This is our author. This is the man writing to us this experience and these events that we're learning about. He's on the run. He's killed a man. The king of the land where he killed the man wants him dead. His people rejected him. Who made you judge over us? This Moses has just had a life-altering change in front of a bush that burned but was not consumed. That very Moses. Pastor, are you drawing out the point that he was a wreck? You bet I am. That Moses who killed a man, who was raised and shed his raising and fled in fear for his life has now had a life-altering encounter with God at a bush that burned and was not consumed. God has told Moses at this point now that he himself, God, has come down to deliver his people from bondage. He has remembered. God said, I've remembered, I've heard, I've seen, I know the affliction of my people, and I have come down to deliver them. 
tells him, Moses, you're going to be my agent of that deliverance. I am going to lead my people out of bondage by your hand. You will go and you will lead my people out. He's instructed him what he is to say to the leaders of Israel. He has instructed him what he is to say to Pharaoh. He has instructed him what he is to do so that people will believe that God has sent him. This very Moses. And God has said to him, I will be with you. We come away now from the burning bush. It happens just like that between verse 17 and 18. We have no idea what kind of time draws between. We have no idea how the bush settled its flames, if it just was, if it was no longer burning or what. But we, as we come into verse 18, the bush is behind us. This is important. The life-changing, the life-altering encounter with God at a bush that burned but was not consumed is behind him. Verse 18, chapter 4. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to, where, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you in this moment, Father, to open your word and to hear from you, to learn from you. And we are in need of the help of your Spirit who teaches us and reminds us of all things that Christ has taught us, who brings to the forefront of our minds the truth of your word and effects change in us that conforms us further to the image of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us in this time. Help me speak to me as you speak through me, Father. I pray, Father, that in this time sinners would be humbled to repentance, to salvation, Father, please. I pray, Father, that holiness would be promoted among your people. And I pray that Christ, the eternal Son of God, will be exalted in our presence, in our gathering, and before your throne. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I have titled this sermon the longest title I've ever titled a sermon in my life. A peaceful farewell, a hard heart, and a bloody knife. It's a long one. I thought about just calling it Fred because I had no idea what to call it. I just, I had to, man, there's a lot going on. Maybe it was a mistake to try and take it all at once, but we'll find out. I have three goals in mind in this sermon. The Lord has been working in me as I prepare sermons to help give you more direction as we open the word, that you may focus and understand what, Pastor, what do you want us to actually get from this? So I have three aims this morning, goals, as God worked in my heart as we went through the word this week preparing this. So I have these three things that I hope uh, will be conveyed to you and that God will use throughout the rest of this week. One, our conduct as earthly children reflects on our heavenly father as his children. You're like, what? How'd you get that from this? Well, we'll find out. Our conduct as earthly children reflects on our conduct as God's children. Number two, the hardness of heart that we experience and encounter is being used and directed by God for his purpose and his glory. I'll give that one again, because if there's one that we're going to struggle with, it's that one. The hardness of heart that we experience and encounter 
is being used and directed by God for his purpose and glory. And lastly, our obedience to the commands of God is a matter of life and death. Our conduct as earthly children, hardness of heart, and obedience to God's command. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, we have an exchange between Moses and his father-in-law, between Moses and God, and the actions of Moses leading his family. Moses goes to Pharaoh after having received instruction from the Lord. Can you imagine? This is what it says for us, right? Back in verse 17, the bush is burning. Take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. The flame goes out. Moses went back to Jethro. What did he go back to Jethro like? Like when God meets face to face with Moses on Mount Sinai and gives him the Ten Commandments, he comes down off the mountain and the people are like, put something over your face, dude, because you're so bright we can't look at you. So he veiled his face before the people because his countenance had changed. What? What? Hey, Dad. Sheep go, hey, Dad. He's leading the sheep back, right? Where was he? He's on the far side of the wilderness with the flocks of his father-in-law, and he sees a bush that burns and is not consumed, and he approaches it. He turns aside, and God reveals himself in a way that he's not revealed himself to anyone. It's life-altering. It's life-changing. You're going back to Egypt, Moses. You're going to do these things, Moses. You're going to say these things, Moses. You're going to the people of Israel, Moses, and you're going to Pharaoh, Moses. Take that staff in your hand and go. He comes back to his father-in-law after all of that, and he says, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt. Can you imagine? We, only to our best understanding from the Bible, know that Moses has been with Jethro for like 40 years right? I want you all to think of the relationships in your life that have spanned 40 years. I am 40, soon to be 41, and so I can't quite get to 40 years, but I can think about friends I knew at four and five, certainly by six. So the the better part of 40 years, some of you probably have relationships that have spanned that 40-year time period. Perhaps you've been married that long or siblings or whatever, Moses shows back up after showing up and saving his daughters and is like, I got to go back to Egypt. Please let me go back to Egypt. I want us to recall some things as we see this exchange between Jethro and Moses. One, Jethro had honored Moses after Moses had shown up and saved Jethro's daughters. Remember? You remember like weeks and weeks ago? Who knows how long ago it actually was? Moses shows up, and Jethro's daughters are in trouble, and he comes to the rescue. They go back to their father. Why are you back so quickly? Well, because some, some men came to mess with the sheep, but a man saved us, an Egyptian. Where is he? Bring him in and give him bread to eat. And all of a sudden, like, he's getting bread to eat, and he's got a wife, and he's got a kid. Like, holy smokes, talk about honor. Jethro had honored Moses when he had saved his daughters and gave Zipporah as his wife. In chapter 3, verse 1 Moses had led the flock of his father-in-law to the far side of the wilderness. That's important. Remember I told you, every word that we read in the scripture is important. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says Moses led the flock of Jethro, his father, to the far side of the wilderness. Do you know what what we glean from that? There's a trust between Jethro and Moses that Jethro is like, you take the sheep, goats, whatever they are, the flock is all it says, and he leads them to the far side of the wilderness, like, Moses would be like, see ya, I'm going to go be my own person now. And he doesn't. There is a trust that exists there. There is extensive dialogue between Jethro and Moses found in Exodus 18. We're going to get there later, so I'm not going to draw any of it out today. But in Exodus chapter 18, as we read the dialogue between Jethro and Moses, Jethro is giving counsel to Moses. In Exodus 18, the Israelites have left Egypt. They've been delivered from Egypt. God delivers his people. They've crossed the Red Sea. The sea has closed back over and killed the host of Pharaoh. And they're on the far side of the Red Sea going to the mountain of God. And Jethro meets him and gives him counsel, which Moses listens to. So there is a respect. Here, Moses doesn't just show up and leave. Hey, Jethro, it's been a good run. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for everything you've given me, but I'm going to Egypt. Notice, he tells him that, but look at how he tells him that. Please let me go. It's a request. It's not a demand. So important is the conduct of God's people to their parents, 
It is the fifth commandment, which we're not even at. We're not there for another 10 chapters, 15 chapters. Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. So important is it. It's not only the fifth commandment, it's the first commandment immediately following the four that have to do directly with God. No other God before me, not taking it in vain. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And another one that I'm blanking on right now, how dare me, honor your father and mother. That quickly, like the conduct of God's people toward their parents is extremely important to God. And in that commandment, God says, honor your father and mother, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, that your days may be long in the land that God is giving you. Moses here gives us a pre-law example of honoring God. I'm going to do that which God has commanded me to do, but first, Jethro, please let me go do this. I think scripture shows us how that became easy for Jethro to do. We'll talk about that in a little while. Jethro says, go in peace. And the Lord then says to Moses, which is important, remember we talked about, why should I go to, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He wants me dead. And here comes that reassurance that we talked about a few weeks ago where God says, all those who sought your life are dead. Go back. They're all dead. It's all over. Go back to Egypt with the words, with the demonstrations, with everything that I've given you. Go and do this. So he loads his children up, loads his wife up. If Moses had any fear about going to Egypt... The Lord has commanded him to do it. Do it. He's wanted dead, but that's now released. All the men who wanted you dead. Moses loads his family up and goes. Notice, staff in hand. You should underline it. That's important. Staff in hand loads his family up and sets out that quickly. He's 40 years old and he leaves Egypt. Another 40 years pass. We're going to see that when we get into uh, Exodus chapter 5, maybe even into 7. And then all of a sudden, 40 years has passed. And he's like, please let me go. And he goes. He loads his family up and he's gone. His time in Midian is that quick. Loads them up. Make a note. Like I said, Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You should probably parallel. I don't know how you would make that note. I, I, I like little symbols and all stuff all over my margins. But look at verse 17. And take in your hand this staff. Okay? And then again in verse 20, yep, verse 20, end of the verse, Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Remember, God has given him. There's symbolism in the staff. The staff is not powerful. The staff is not magical. The staff is not going to do anything outside of the power of God using the staff. But God has told him, take it. He's got it, and it's very present. So just make a note of that. Moses has been commanded. He now has his father-in-law's blessing. No excuse to not go. He loads up and goes. Then God says to him, we don't know when, but in verse 20, God speaks to Moses. Maybe it's on the way. Maybe it's one of the resting places. We see in verse 24, at a lodging place. So maybe there are multiple lodging places as they travel back to Midian. You should study the maps that are in the back of your Bible. They mean things. They show us places approximately so we can see wow that was a long journey for them to make in that day so maybe it's on the way maybe it's before they go we don't know but God comes to Moses and says when you go back to Egypt see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put before you that I have put in your power we have seen God give Moses direction as far as the signs he is to give to Israel Go to the elders of Israel, do these signs before them. What's that in your hand? Throw it down, it becomes a snake. Take it back up, it becomes not a snake. Put your hand in your coat, take it out, it's leprous. Put it back in, in and out, it's clean. Pour water on the ground, it'll become blood. And they will believe. Now, apparently, God has also given power to Moses to do signs before Pharaoh. God is omnipotent. He has given him signs to do before Pharaoh. Three signs before the Israelites. Now go. Remember what God said back in 319. You can write that down in your side margin. I know that Pharaoh will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Do the signs, Moses. I've given you the signs to do. You do those. I know what it's going to take. I know when he will let you go. Do those signs that I have commanded you. Now, it's interesting. We don't call them signs on this side reading the scripture, right? So let's just pretend that Moses is way over there. 
okay? And between us and Moses, God has written his entire revelation to us. This is the only written revelation of God, the only revelation of God to man. And now we look back at it, and what do we call these signs? We call them the ten plagues. The signs that God has given Moses to do, we understand those to be the ten plagues because we see the whole thing. Moses is just told, do the signs that I've given you. Take that staff in your hand. That mighty hand will certainly involve these signs. God not owing it to Moses, but in his infinite wisdom, giving Moses a preview, right? He could have just said, go Moses, okay, what does he do? When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. Do them, be obedient, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will harden his heart. Moses, it's as if this has been written to him. Moses, this is not going to be easy for you or for my people. I'm going to harden his heart, and that's going to make things difficult. We're going to see it. That's going to make things really difficult for you. As what's happened? Do you understand what we're caught in? I mentioned it a few weeks ago. We're caught in the throes of Pharaoh fighting a war with God. And God is telling Moses right now, it's not going to be easy. I will harden his heart. This is an important and recurring theme throughout all of Exodus. You should write down this note. A commentary that I've been following as I work through this, and it helps me, it's not the word of God, but many preachers, many scholars, many teachers, you learn much about God's word. The author of this commentary, Philip Graham Ryken, notes that the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is mentioned some 20 times in various ways throughout Exodus. That is important. I've told you, if the Bible says something three times, pay attention. It talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened 20 sometimes, near 20 times. I went through and tried to count them all, and I'm sure that I missed them. I got to like 16 or 17 instances, and we see this. It's, it's stated in different ways. Here are the three ways that most often, I guess four ways. One, the Bible just says, Exodus write, Moses just writes in Exodus, Pharaoh's heart is hard. It's just a statement. His heart is hard. Another way that it says it is, his heart remained hardened. Another way is that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And finally, the example that we have here, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We haven't met Pharaoh just yet. This Pharaoh, remember, one died. This is a new Pharaoh while Moses has been gone. So we don't know this Pharaoh yet. We're going to meet him into chapter 5. And his hardness of heart is going to be very clear and very evident from the moment that Moses and Aaron meet him. His hardness of heart. The hard heart of Pharaoh. This is important. The hard heart of Pharaoh is both God's will for Pharaoh and Pharaoh's will for Pharaoh. I don't want us believing that God has tricked us all and that we are robots Serving his will without choice. Salvation is God's work. There's a larger discussion there, but the Bible is clear that man is responsible before God. As we see and encounter Pharaoh's hardness of heart, this is both God using his will with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's will combining God is exercising his will. Pharaoh is not going to do anything that God has not allowed him to do. But Pharaoh is exercising a will that is serving not God. He is in bondage himself, as we are going to find out. He is going to come under judgment, as we will find out. God will not come down on Pharaoh all at once. He says, I will harden his heart. These verses become important. 319. I know that he will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. We're going to see in a moment what that mighty hand is. It's going to take a mighty hand, and then God says, I will harden his heart. And so Moses, in this moment, you can imagine, I would think that you can imagine, Lord, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why are you going to harden his heart that's going to make things harder? There's a reason. I hope you're paying attention to Romans when it was read during our worship time of worship this morning. We'll visit a little bit of that again. God says, I will harden his heart. God will not come down on Pharaoh all at once. He will come down on Pharaoh incrementally. 
And we see it all throughout. The ten plagues, they start and they're not so terrible. And look what he says. I will harden his heart so he will not let you go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. I will, I will kill. And all the skeptics in the room said, look, look at a God who just kills. This is one of the, this is one of the number one claims that an unbelieving world makes about our God and King. I just can't believe in a God who would just kill. Look at the Old Testament. It's blood everywhere. He's just killing everyone. That's not a God of love. You say he's a God of love, but he's killing everyone. What in the world? First, we have the tenth and final plague. This is the mighty hand. Make note. Right here in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, I will kill your firstborn son. There's the mighty hand. And a lot transpires to get them there. Exodus 11.1, 1, you can look it up, says this, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go. That last plague, the death of the firstborn. The firstborn of all the land of Egypt. Wherever the blood, oh man, it's going to be some kind of glorious thing to work through when we get there. Look at that God, he just kills. Why has he got to kill him? Why doesn't he just, why does he just love Pharaoh into submission? There's something we must learn, Christian. You have unbelieving friends who see God as a merciless murderer. You need to reconcile that in your mind. You know people who view God as a merciless murderer. He just kills. In order to come to this conclusion, however, I'm curious how many of the drowned sons of Israel, God's firstborn, we have to look past to come to this conclusion. I will kill your firstborn son, Pharaoh. He's a God who just kills. And not long ago, the Egyptian people were pitching babies into the river from Israel's firstborn. So what's happening? What's happening here is we are going to meet Pharaoh, who in the ancient world, Pharaoh is God in Egypt. Do you understand? He is not the God of heaven and earth. He is a God. He is to be worshipped. and His word goes. He will be worshipped as a God as we meet him and see him cast himself up against God, exalt himself against. Now we understand that all of the plagues that we are seeing is God's heavy hand of judgment. You're like, well, man, couldn't that have brought Pharaoh to his knees and like he could have repented? Let's remember something. God knows everyone who will repent, and God knows everyone who will not repent, and God will execute his judgment. We see God pouring his judgment out upon the Egyptians as we start studying through into 7 and 8, 9, 10, and 11 and 12. As we see God judging them, we'll learn various things. You have to, you have to blatantly ignore all of Scripture to come to the conclusion that God is a merciless murderer. You have to ignore all of Scripture to come to the conclusion that God just kills. The last week in Vacation Bible School, we were teaching the kids about the ancient gods of Greece and the Athenian people. And every one of those gods simply kills and nobody had any reason as to why. Every one of them, Kronos, Nike, Poseidon, Zeus, every one of them. Fits of rage, they kill people. That's not our God. Our God says of himself, I am slow to anger. You have to blatantly ignore the rest of Scripture to come to the fact that God kills. God doesn't just kill. I don't like shock statements, but this is one of them. God does not just kill, but God kills justly. Always. That's a, that's a, oh man, I, I, I wrote it, and I don't know if other people have said it. Maybe somebody else has ever said this. I put that note down, and I just pushed back my desk, and I literally said, Lord, I don't want to say this. Now, I know it's true. I believe it. All of your word bears this out, but I don't want to say this out loud. God does not just kill, but God kills justly. 
There is bloodshed throughout all of the Bible. There's bloodshed all throughout Exodus. There's Judges is nothing but a river of blood as God executes judgment. Joshua is a conquest of the land where God is pouring out his judgment on people. The book of Revelation, there is the pouring out of blood. And in the sacrifices whereby the people of Israel worship God, there is blood after blood after blood. The blood is never running out. Blood in the Bible always mixed with the judgment of God and praise God for us mixed with the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. These illustrations help us to understand what that means. Sin has always required blood, but God does not just kill. He tells his servant Ezekiel twice, Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33. He tells his servant twice, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. I do not have pleasure in the death of anyone, but people will die, won't they? And not just as we think of living in this life where people age and they get sick or tragedy strikes, but like people will be condemned to hell for eternity and be dead spiritually for eternity. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. God says of himself, I'm slow to anger, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. But how often we stop short and we don't finish the statement that God makes of himself that helps us to quantify the fact, the biblical truth that God does not just kill, but that he kills justly. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving, forgiving the iniquity, transgression, and sin to countless thousands. But I will by no means, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, God says, by no means clear the guilty. God will not and cannot tolerate sin. The world is counter to this right now. You can go to any church you want. I mean, I I pray not any church. You can find a church, trust me, where sin will not be talked about. They're not hard to find. You can turn on the TV. You can turn on the radio. You can waste your time on the internet. You can find a preacher who will convince you that sin doesn't matter. That is a lie from hell. God cannot and God will not tolerate sin. If he does, he is not God. We must understand this, Christian. He is not God. If God tolerates sin, then his grace to us means nothing. Jesus Christ's death means nothing. Our faith in Jesus means nothing if God just, eh, sin's not a big deal. Sin is always a big deal. God must punish sin. And all we have right here in Exodus 4, 21 through 23 is God saying, Moses, I'm going to make it very hard for Pharaoh. I'm judging him. By the means that I choose and the way that I choose, I will harden his heart. I will pour out my judgment on him. He will punish sin. He is right to do so. And he can do so in whatever way, by whatever means he chooses. Here, God is revealing the eventual and ultimate judgment of Pharaoh, indeed all of Egypt's sin. I will harden his heart. The end of the passage here, verse 24, it moves on. This is so, this, you can understand why I thought to perhaps break these up into three separate sermons because there's three scenes going on here as we read the narrative. He goes to Jethro, God visits him, and now, what I put in the title, a bloody knife. A peaceful farewell, a hard heart, and a bloody knife. They're on their way. Speaking of judgment, we Christians do well to pay attention to what was just said about Pharaoh and now consider what is said in this bizarre exchange. Riken notes, he says of these verses, they are the most difficult to understand of the entire Old Testament. His word was enigmatic. I had to look it up in the dictionary. Most difficult to understand was the way that Pastor John would say it. And I agree. I've read it. I've looked over. I'm like, I don't, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. What are we doing? 
at a lodging place along the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? What? Dude, like, there's a moment you got to admit, you admit it because we're broken. There are moments where we're like, Lord, I don't get you. And what does God say in response to us? That's because I'm not like you. My ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. I am higher than you. He's unlike us. He meets him and seeks to put him to death. The Lord met with him, met him, and sought to put him to death. God, you're going to kill Moses? If we stop there, that's the question to ask, right? You're going to kill Moses? You just called the dude. Your anger was just kindled against him, and you relented and said, look at there's Aaron, your brother. He talks good. What is going on? There are many things to guess about in this passage. The Lord sought to put him to death. How? By what means? Was it, was it, like, was it sickness? Was this like Grim Reaper death angel coming out the desert to get him? Boogeyman's going to get you? What, what is going? Is it an accident where he's like all of a sudden in danger? What happens? We don't know. There's a lot of guesswork involved. We have no idea. We have to guess at several things. Let's not. Let's consider what we know as opposed to guessing at Scripture. Moses is a Hebrew, and the Hebrews are God's people, and God made a covenant with the Hebrews. In Genesis chapter 17, from the day of Abraham, when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, the sign of God's covenant, right? God interacts with his people through covenant relationship. The sign of the covenant between God and man was to Abraham, every male throughout your generations of eight days and older, whether he's born in your house or whether you buy him into your house, will be circumcised in the foreskin of his flesh. Parents have a great time with older kids later explaining that one. This is, this is a command, we don't like to really deal with passages like this. We're like, uh, and every adult is like, mm. listen, Christian, wrestle down a biblical understanding of circumcision. There is no more beautiful and dreadful medical procedure in the Old Testament that shows us so much of God's work in our life he says in the New Testament, literally of his people, not of a circumcision made by hands, but a circumcision of the heart, a peeling away of that which is useless and is not necessary. Moses is a Hebrew. The Hebrews are God's people. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 12 through 14, God says this to Abraham. Every male throughout your generations shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be... An everlasting covenant. Moses has failed to do this. Why is God seeking to put Moses to death? Because Moses is a Hebrew and Moses has a son. And every son, every male throughout your generations, born into your homes, Moses has had a responsibility to put the sign of God's covenant people on his son and he hasn't. Do you understand now? Like, quickly, let's understand what's happening. This is like God saying, hey Moses, I don't know who your son is. I don't know who you are. You're not my people without my mark on you. There's a lot to speculate. I have speculated that Moses failed to lead his family. Maybe you're in the room and you have also speculated. This is, this is poor family leadership on the part of Moses. I mean, I, I see it. I don't disagree with it. I'm not saying that it's not. Should have circumcised his son. He knew better. You're like, well, but he was an Egyptian, though, for 40 years. And then he refused. All of the Bible is so important. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, rather, to be mistreated with the people of God. Why? Moses knew he was a Hebrew. And Moses would have known what being Hebrew meant when you had children, and he has failed. I, I've speculated that. 
I have seen this as Zipporah's disgust at a practice that the pagan unpeople of God don't understand. An entire book of the New Testament is written to this subject, the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the Galatians because there were Jews who were telling Galatians, you're not believers unless you do this. You've got to do this. And Paul's like, you don't have to do anything in your body. You have to cut your body in any way to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the old way. God has come. There is a new way. We don't do that anymore. So this is a major topic. I've seen it as Zipporah having disgust at the practice. Why? Because of her actions. She took a flinch. She did the job. She threw the thing. And you're a bridegroom of blood to me, right? That's how we want to read it. Maybe. Some speculate that this is Zipporah taking the lead in her family. Moses, you're going to die. What's going to happen to our son? We're on our way to Egypt because you haven't done this thing. and It's over. Because all that happens is God seeks to kill him. Zipporah does the work with the flint. The blood is applied. Probably should write that down. You should probably make a note that there was blood applied. The blood is applied. And then we move on. We already dealt with verse 27 through the end of the chapter a couple of weeks ago. In all these things, I have read between the lines. Verse 24 through 26, I've read between the lines in all of this. And sometimes you can read between the lines of Scripture and see a lot that's going on because of what the Scripture says. Sometimes you read between the lines of Scripture, and in verse 24 through 26, you have to make up a lot. It's important for us to stay on the line of Scripture. We don't go above it. We don't want to go below it. We want to stay on the line that Scripture draws. Moses is God's man for the job. You're going, Moses. God's not going to kill him, but he sought to put him to death to teach him something. Your obedience to me is extremely important, Moses. We just saw him. If God wanted to consume him, he would have done that at the burning bush. You're insolent. You don't believe He's not going to kill him because God has a plan and God is unchanging and Moses is the man that God has chosen for this mission. But somehow he comes upon Moses and the only way that Moses can write it is God was going to kill me. Oh, we have the whole of scripture that helps us. God wasn't going to kill you, Moses. God was teaching you, Moses. What was he teaching him? In this strange Old Testament passage, just after we read about God saying to Pharaoh, I will kill your firstborn son. In this strange passage here, God demonstrates the wages of sin is death. And the only thing that assuages, that relieves, that covers and takes care of the wages of sin is the blood of the covenant. He turns aside from seeking to kill Moses Moses goes on and meets his brother. They return to Egypt. He does the signs before Israel and the leaders of Egypt. Next week in chapter 5, we'll hopefully have a different passage to consider. Maybe it would be more lighthearted than, man, a peaceful farewell and a hard heart and a bloody knife. What is going on in this? Let's try and take some thoughts that will help us see this scripture in light of our lives. One, we talked about Jethro and Moses. The command is honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Moses' actions are a good reminder to us that parental figures are to be respected and honored. And everyone in the room thought, yeah, that's right, Pastor, you tell those kids. No, no, no. Every person in this room has a mother and a father. Living or dead, y'all got one. There's only one man ever born who didn't have a natural father in this world, and he's still called Joseph Father. Only one man born of a virgin. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Ephesians 6, 2, Paul says this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. I often say to my children, as they hear me, if they're paying attention, which I hope they are, they will recognize that when things start to go poorly for them, I say, life's not going really well for you right now, is it? Because there's disobedience between you and I, isn't there? And God calls us to honor, and in your role right now, honor means obey. Older children in the room whose parents are adults themselves, 
we still have a responsibility to honor, but that obedience changes. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, husbands, you are leading, you are responsible, but you still have an honor to show to God. As God's children, we are called to honor our earthly parents. I wrote this down. I can't go into all the complexities. It's so complex. Everybody in here is thinking about their parents, and not any of us in here have had any two parents that have been alike at all. None of us. My parents were my parents, and they parented me the way they did. I have two older brothers who have different stories of them as parents. Every single one of us has experienced our parents in a different way. But as a Christian, we are called to honor our earthly parents. They come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, don't they? They come in all forms of attitudes and actions. Some are a delight and seemingly superheroes, and others cause us great grief and great pain. And God says, regardless of them, honor. You honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you in the land. God's people are to honor their parents in light of God, in fear of God, regardless of the parent they are. As if parenting isn't a hard enough topic. I mentioned Exodus chapter 18. It leads us to understand in our interactions with Jethro here in Exodus 4, it leads us to understand there's a respect and there's a relationship between Jethro and Moses that caused Moses to be respectful of Jethro. And we can draw as we see Moses, who is beyond 80 by Exodus 18, respecting the word of Jethro. We can draw from their interactions Jethro was a man who feared God, and Jethro's fearing of God, no doubt, made it easier for Moses to honor him as a father figure. Christian parents, does your fear of God lead your children to honor you and obey God? I think it was easy for Moses to come down off the mountain and say, Jethro, I have a feeling, this is how it's read there, but I have a feeling that conversation with Jethro was, I know, son, get after it. I think it was made easy for him. Children of any age, honoring our earthly parents is a direct, direct reflection on our obedience and honor of the Lord our God. Don't honor your parents. Don't honor God as God. And all of us now need to reevaluate how we talk about them, how we interact with them, what we say to them, how we obey them. Young children in the room, in the fear of God, you are to obey your parents. And that can be really hard. But that is your job as given by God right now. Your parents are here, I'm assuming, because they have a relationship with the Lord and they are endeavoring through the word of God to follow God as God It is your responsibility to obey your parents. Older children, I mean older by like me and older, maybe. All of us in the room who are not in someone's home and dependent on someone else for our living, honor your parents. The honoring of your parents is a demonstration of how you honor God as God. I hope that you see the direct relationship between honoring our parents and honoring God as our Father. God has mercy on and hardens whomever he will. Remember that point I gave you? The hardness of heart that we experience and encounter is being used and directed by God for his purpose and our obedience. His purpose, his glory, our good. Did you pay attention to the verses in Romans earlier? They're not comfortable. We don't like them. They're difficult verses to understand. Those verses told us that God has prepared vessels for destruction and that God has prepared vessels for mercy. These are difficult things to discuss. These are deep, deep truths of God's word that even after a lifetime of figuring out, you can read scholars who hundreds of years ago were wrestling with these truths and they cannot come to the bottom of them. God knows who will be saved and God saves them and God knows who will not be saved. There are vessels prepared for wrath, Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, literally, you're going to see it in chapter 9, he says it again in Romans, 
I've raised you up, Pharaoh, for this purpose. I brought you to this point. I've put you in this place for this reason. I've done that, Pharaoh. You're not here because you're the son of the son of someone and the son of the king now. I did this. Why? That through you my power may be shown. That through you my name will be declared in all the earth. That through you my glory will be shown to vessels of mercy prepared beforehand. Vessels prepared for mercy. Israel. God's people. Paul says, even us. Oh, feel it. Feel those words. Even us. Not only of Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And there we are. And every believer in the room said, thank you, God. God has prepared vessels of mercy. Both vessels, the Bible is clear. Both vessels are prepared beforehand by God. We can't reconcile this in our finite human mind. We don't understand these complexities. What God did what? Author, from before the beginning, I've authored all things. Everything that is happening, I've authored and designed all of it for my glory. Romans chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 tells us that God chose Jacob over Esau before they were born and before either had done anything good or bad. I chose Jacob. I chose him. I chose him for this purpose. I chose him over Esau before they'd done anything. Ephesians 1, verse 4 tells us that in love, God predestined us Paul says, us to the Ephesians for adoption as sons through Christ. People want to dispute, well, that means, that means Paul, it means the Ephesians. What? God wrote a word to his people. God has chosen a people. We don't like, this is countered. We're like, what in the world? Listen, no, 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 don't miss it. God has a chosen people. It's not, why does he choose some and why doesn't he choose others? It's that God chooses anyone. He's holy, He's righteous. We're broken. God had every right and authority when Adam and Eve fell in the garden to end the whole thing. And he didn't. Why? Because he had authored all of life and all of living beings, all people. This is the work of God. It's brutally and blatantly clear throughout all of Scripture. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God is still hardening and softening hearts today. You recognize this. I just had conversations. There's a, there's a family in town that, please pray. I don't want to give their names. Please pray. If you're on the prayer chain, you saw the email for them. The, the husband and father man of the home tragically was killed in an accident the other night. He's dead. And I've talked with Christians who worked with this man and talked with this man. And the, the back and forth and the jostling, like, where's the decision? We just wish he'd made a decision. Salvation is not in ours to do. That's God's work to do. The hardening of hearts is God doing it, working with the will of man. Man's responsible to God's work and for God's work, and God's will is working all things together for the good of those who love him, not for everyone. Oh, man. Deep truths. God is still hardening and softening hearts. Whenever a soul regenerated by the Holy Spirit comes to faith in Christ by God's grace, that is the softening of heart by the hand of God. Whenever a heart refuses, whenever someone stubbornly refuses the things of God, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is a hardening, and it is both their choice and God's will. We are tempted, when we think about the hardening of hearts, we're tempted in this world, especially in our day right now, to think about the wickedness and the evil in the world and say, when are you going to end all of this, God? When will all of this come to an end? Please, O Lord, come quickly. We want it to just be over, but we are missing the greater point of the hardening and the softening and vessels that have been prepared for wrath and vessels that have been prepared for mercy when God endures with everything we see and we're like, Lord Jesus, come quickly. God, Romans says, is demonstrating his glory to you, Christian. What if God chose to endure, God endured patiently vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order that his glory, the riches of his glory, may be shown to vessels of mercy prepared beforehand, even us. We miss that all of this is about God's glory. God is only 
God. And he will be glorified in the way that he has determined. And we are not robots subject to an outside will. God is using our will with his will for his glory. Lastly, the blood of the covenant. It's 4th of July weekend. Everyone wants to cook hot dogs, have root beer floats, get on the lake. Go with the most important information that you could go with. Like Moses needing this blood applied, she cut the skin. The blood was there. The blood of the covenant. We are all born with hardened hearts and the only way to salvation is the applied blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the covenant. This is why communion, when we observe communion, is so important. That is symbolism of the blood of the covenant applied to us. Christ offered himself on the cross to satisfy the blood guilt that we had incurred before God. A sinless man who satisfied the blood guilt that we had incurred before God. And by God's grace we are saved. We don't have this sign anymore. The last bloodied knife was put away on the cross on the hill of Calvary. Now, through faith in Jesus Christ, praise God, we have a different sign that is no less important. When we profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter the water of baptism and we declare publicly, through the sign of the covenant, washed in the blood of Jesus and raised in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, that sign, that symbol, it does not save, but it is the command of God for his people in covenant, and we are to obey. And the disobedience of God as regards his covenant is not something taken lightly. If you've not been baptized, I would love to talk with you about that. Deep conversations I would like to have with you about baptism. If you have just been putting it off for whatever reason, this or that, I would love to talk with you because as believers, if you are professing faith in Jesus Christ, you are to be baptized. It is obedience to God. As we see Pharaoh harden his heart, as we see God harden Pharaoh's heart, as we see Pharaoh appear to be coming around only to turn and then harden his heart again, it's going to happen back and forth over the next 10 chapters of the Bible. As we see this happen, we should cry out and praise and glorify God who has softened our hearts. That was his work. And who through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his covenant promise through the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit has removed from us a heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. It has been difficult for me today. It has been difficult for me this week. And I can only imagine how difficult it is for those who have gathered. But I pray by the power of your spirit, God, that you would continue to work on our hearts and bring understanding to our minds and our lives through the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit. Father, I pray that through the softened heart of flesh that you have given us, God, that we would leave those mysterious things of how you operate to your operation. God, that we would not seek to be those who answer every question you are a God that we cannot fully understand or explain. We, we know only in part and we know through our broken humanity. So Father, help us to cling to the truth that you have revealed. Behold, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant, not like the covenant of old that my people Israel broke, but a covenant written on their heart by the power of the Spirit. I pray, Father, that we would come to know the depth of your covenant with us through Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you, and we pray that our worship this morning has honored you. I pray, Father, that as we go from here, you would help us to honor our parents, that as we honor our parents, we are honoring you. I pray that we would see the direct connection. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand that the hardened hearts that we experience, that we encounter, God, you are using these by your will and for your glory. It is not our work to soften hard hearts. Help us, Father, to understand that you are using the hardness of heart and you are softening hearts. This is your work. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the applied blood of the covenant 
through the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would live in light of that blood having been applied to us through faith. God, we love you. Be with us as we go. I pray, Father, that you will bring us back together safely to worship you again. Father, we pray even more. Come quickly. We long to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.